welcome to the 58th episode of the Hail Mary podcast. I'm Atoves, and I'm joined by my husband, the Toves. We're back to recap the heartbreaking loss to Houston. Let's get started. We predicted an offensive shootout similar to last year, and instead, we got a defensive battle. The first two drives ended with each team punting before both teams scored on their respective third drives. Just when it seemed like the offenses might be turning it on, we instead had a pair of defensive stops and both teams missed field goals. Houston capitalized on a defensive penalty by UTSA late in the second quarter to go up 10-7 at the half. The second half did not start out the way the Roadrunners wanted, with three turnovers on their first three possessions. Fortunately, the defense came out strong, limiting the damage to only one touchdown scored. The offense was able to put up a touchdown drive late in the fourth, but it was just too little too late as UTSA fell in the season opener 17-14. to What were your thoughts on the game and the weekend overall? Yeah, I'm glad you asked because um, I think the first thing we should talk about is, you know, Friday night we went to the Alamo, Dome, or the Alamo Audible sorry, uh, meetup party. Um, it was great seeing Jared and Adrian. Um, and then, you know, we got the tickets to the um, alumni tailgate there have been problems at the one at in Austin. Mm-hmm. Didn't ex- think we experienced anything this time. I think it was, you know, plenty of food. Uh, I guess looked like plenty of drinks, yeah. alcoholic and non-alcoholic. So, and it wasn't as crowded. I mean, you could actually like move around. The the one in Austin was just people right on top of each other. They ran out of food. wasn't well executed. But um, the one in Houston really did turn out to be much better than I expected. Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, you know, we stayed in the um, the Hilton um, that was right on campus. So um, I stayed there where the Houston players were staying um, the night before the game. It was, uh, you know, running into a whole bunch of Houston players. Uh, guys were quite a bit larger than us. Oh, yeah. I've never felt so short in my entire life. <laughs> um, but then, you know, what this means, too, is that there's going to be some UTSA fans that are staying there. Mm-hmm. And in particular, we had... A couple of UTSA fans Friday night before we went over to the Alamo Audible party. Lucas Dean's parents is who we ran into. They had just flown in from Australia. 26-hour flight. Lucas, not sure you're going to hear this, but your parents are amazing. I'm sure you know <laughs> that. But uh, just just to um, you know, expand a little bit on that, uh, you know, talked about you know where they live in, uh, in Australia, which is on the west coast, of, which is Perth. So it pretty much South added. South of Perth, yeah. Yeah, south of Perth. But pretty much added, you know, quite a bit of time to their travels because they have to, you know, they're essentially going from Perth over to Sydney and then Sydney over to the United States. So, uh, yeah, it, it is a place I want to visit, um, mm-hmm. but I guess what I'm struggling with is just the thought of that long of a flight, right? right. Or, or actually a combination of flights, right? So, um, but still, uh, probably want to visit, especially after they describe so many things um from Perth, they said they were three hours south, like you said. Um, there was plenty of wineries around there, so you know, pretty much caught my attention. I knew as soon yeah, as you totally heard it, totally sold me right yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> I knew it sold uh, sell you on it. So, um, you know, I, I think they were uh, quite chatty, and it was it was cool. Again, just a really cool cool opportunity to talk to uh, you know one of the players' parents. It's always cool to like talk to UTSA fans in general, but then you get a player's parents, and it's just like a little bit different experience because they've got a different view of things. Um, and especially them being from Australia, you know, they, uh, one of the funniest things I think we heard was the fact that they were so, so happy to see Lucas on the field, uh, in his first season, which was back in 2019. And then they realized, 
That's that, not a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, we did say, you know, we, no one really looks forward to seeing Lucas on the field because that means that our offense isn't doing well. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if maybe that was part of the reason why the offensive struggled. We can get into that. Maybe it's just because, you know, they're trying to get some time for Lucas, you know, to show off for his parents. I don't know. All right, I'm going to give one compliment here to the Houston players because the Houston players did look at us and they immediately thought we were alumni as opposed to we went to West Point where some of the Army fans believed that, you know, that were asking us which player was, uh, was our kid. Yeah, I mean, why would you travel all the way to West Point to just watch UTSA? Obviously, you must be a parent, Um also, the fact that, you know, they immediately think that we are old enough to have a kid who plays on the team. You know, we are, but that's besides the point. <laughs> um, you know, it was just nice for the, the, you know, Cougar players to look at us and say, oh, you guys must be here as fans and alumni. Like, yes, thank you, we are. The generation isn't lost. That's it's, right. It's, it's a good one, right? All right. I guess we should start talking about the game, right? I've been putting it off long enough. <laughs> yeah. There's going to be some tough moments to talk through. So, yeah. you know, I was just trying to delay a little bit. But first thoughts for you on the game. Well, like I said in the recap, I mean, we both really anticipated that this was going to be an offensive show. Um, you know, we both said in the preview that it felt like the offensives for both of the teams were stronger than the defenses. Um but that wasn't the case. So in that case, it was uh, it was kind of surprising in a good way to see, especially our defense, you know, really show up. I mean, this game really could have gotten out of hand if, A, Houston was as talented as people said they were because they really didn't capitalize on some of the opportunities that they had, you know, to take those turnovers and mistakes and turn them into points. But, you know, our defense, on the other hand, I think just did an amazing job of stopping Houston from scoring and really giving us an opportunity to make this a close game. For me, it was a game where, you know, I expected some mistakes to be made. Uh, you know, it's always tough to, like, throw that into a preview and say, I expect Houston to make this many mistakes and mm-hmm. UTSA to make none, right? Like, that's just such a homer take to think, you know. But, uh, you know, for me, I just didn't expect... Houston to take advantage of our mistakes and we just never took advantage of their mistakes. Uh, it, it was, I mean, you have essentially two fourth down stops and our offense wasn't able to capitalize on the fact right. that here we stopped them on fourth down at their own home field. Like, it's not like we stopped them in the dome, right? Like right. That's, that's a different field altogether, but on their own, on their own home field, fourth down, they should be making it. And we don't allow a thing. Like, that. it's just, first of all, terrific play by the defense, which we'll get more into here in a little bit. But just overall, that I think was kind of set up just some disappointing moments, I think, and uncharacteristic mistakes that we saw from this team, <laughs> especially on special teams. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, going into this season, I said this. As soon as I found out that we weren't going to have a special teams coordinator, I thought it was a mistake. I was hoping that it wouldn't be that big of a deal, but this game epitomized one of the reasons why you need to have a special teams coordinator. I've seen it before, again, at Iowa State. 
having special teams by committee just doesn't work. Because when you have special teams by committee, that means everybody plays a part in it and everybody's involved. Well, that also means when everybody's involved, nobody's accountable. Right. That's why you have a special teams coordinator so that someone is accountable for making sure that you execute, that you don't have mistakes, that everybody knows where they're supposed to be, and that if there are mistakes, that you fix them. My concern is we had a lot of mistakes. There are things that can be fixed. But again, without that one person accountable, is it going to get fixed before the next game? Right. And then, you know, like I said, Houston takes advantage of our mistakes. But it goes back to a theme that I've been kind of going back and forth with on this pod, which is when UTSA plays an evenly matched team in bowl games, regular season, it's that thin margin of error that UTSA can't capitalize on, right? Like, they cannot force any errors on Houston, and they can't take advantage of them. I mean, it's... If we see ourselves as this rising program, these are the games we want to win, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, we've gotten a lot of press recently. There's a lot of people following the program. But these are the types of game that, like you said, if we don't win, we're not going to be taken seriously. You know, you have to win these types of games if you're going to consider yourself to be the top G5 program. Right. And, you know, I think that's the frustrating thing. You know, it's watching that game unfold it felt like a bad dream because of the fact that you know i said i I didn't think that there was any sort of huge talent disparity between the two teams and from what i saw on saturday i'm not wrong there was not a huge talent disparity but again we go back to houston taking advantage of mistakes and you know we'll dive deeper here but any final thoughts before we dive into the side of the ball I think the two things just overall that frustrated me the most is we talk about, you know, the triangle traveling. Well, in this case, I think we can say at least one part of the triangle was there. Like, we had a straight line in the defense. You could maybe make an argument for, you know, a little bit for the offense in that Uh we talk about running the ball. But when you put two straight lines together or two halves of the triangle, like, you just get a right angle and an L. Wow. So not good. Wow. I thought Um, that's where you're going. (laughs) Wow. And then the other thing that was frustrating was that a lot of the mistakes that were made, and we'll talk about them individually, came from our our single-digit players, the guys that we, you know, really look to as veterans um, to not make those mistakes. You know, again, we'll talk about them in more detail, but we had, you know, the turnovers by Frank. You had a special teams error by Brandon Matterson, and you had a costly penalty against Donnie. Yeah. So let's start out with the defense, because you always say to start out with something really positive. That's right. So they that's were, what we're going to start they out were, with. They were definitely the straight <laughs> line. All right. We had said some of the keys for the defense, uh, you know, to win that line of scrimmage. And, you know, to be honest with you, I think they did. When looking at that offensive line for the Houston Cougars, yeah, they're, they're going to be about a Big 12 quality. They're going to be about an American, you know, quality I should say American Athletic Conference quality. Um, But, you know, I didn't feel like they overwhelmed or imposed themselves on the UTSA defense. No, not at all. And, you know, I think it goes back to what you were talking about in terms of the triangle traveling, right? Like, this defense, this defense looked like the defense 
that played against Troy in a Cure Bowl, right? I, I, and I had kind of whispered to you, this kind of feels like the whole game, right? Like, yeah. throughout this whole game, it felt like there were aspects of it in terms of, especially in the defensive play. I thought, again, we took some shots, but we still came back. And mm-hmm. that, more than anything, just proved to me that, <laughs> and I think you're probably going to laugh, but Jeff, Jeff Slap must have listened to the podcast because I know I've been hard on him right. <laughs> for a while. <laughs> But I thought he called a great game. I think he has this defense playing at a level that I hadn't seen in quite a while. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about it, honestly, because, you know, you go into a season and you think, oh, you know, these guys are going to be fine. But you, in this era of, like, offense, it always feels like they're going to get gashed, right? Like, right. there's this, when you say gashed, they're going to give up, like, 20-ish points a game. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just how the history has been for UTSA just overall. This defense seems a little bit different. There's just so much speed. There's youth. I, I mean, what else? I don't know. What am I missing here? If the... Yeah, I mean, I think the, the two key things to go back and look at when you analyze our defense are those two fourth down um, plays by Houston where we stopped them. I mean, that was huge. Won the line of scrimmage, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we knew going into this game that we both said we thought the D-line was the strength of the defense, and and clearly they proved that. You had concerns about the safeties in particular going into the season. What are your thoughts after seeing them in this game? You know, honestly, we didn't hear much about them, which mm-hmm. is great. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they had a couple of, you know, I think early on, um, Elliot Davidson got burned by Manjack uh, for the first touchdown for Houston. Uh, but it looked like Davison actually lost his footing, and then just he wasn't able to recover. He right. had nobody else to help him, so you know he was pretty much on an island. Other than that, I mean, I just I don't think we really heard much about the safeties. I think you know Rashad had a pretty good game. I saw him come up and make some tackles. You know, Kalechi was you know around the ball as well. I, again, this defense felt like it was swarming. There was right. just there was just moments where I was like. And this is always the ultimate compliment to a defense, right? It felt like there was 12 guys out there, mm-hmm. um, 13 guys. There was just guys around the ball. And, again, it goes back to what, you know, I had kind of talked about already, which is there was no really – no big disparity in talent between right. the two teams. And you could see it on this UTSA defense really getting to these ball carriers and really, you know, making a lot of guys uh, – I think really making Houston uncomfortable. Yeah, I would have loved it if Jamal Ligon would have gotten that interception – but, I mean, again, that's about as nitpicky as you can get, you know, in terms of criticizing the defense, I think. But amazing that he was back there, right? Like, right. I mean, that, there, was, uh, um, there was some gutsy calls there made on this uh, defense, or made by this defensive coordinator, Jess Lepp. And because of it, you know, it put guys in different positions. Um, you know, I think Jamal's going to, like, want that one back. Uh, but regardless... You know, I think that there was a few other standouts. Cam Alexander uh, got burned early, um, but it was a really good play by the Houston player. Um, other than that, Cam Alexander, which, you know, you always wonder how, how it's going to be, you know, going from FCS to FBS, right? Like, there's right. there's always going to be an adjustment. Same, you know, we just talked about Elliot Davison coming from UIW over to, CNA, over to UTSA, right? So here's Cam Alexander. I'm not really sure, like, what's going to happen. I thought he played really well. I thought there was some speed there that I hadn't seen in the UTSA secondary, mm-hmm. just actually just overall on the team, uh, ever. Um, and it's exciting, right? Like it, 
there's a lot of these defensive pieces that I defensive pieces that I really feel are key and, and just I don't know I'm kind of gushing here but <laughs> the other one that I really want to talk about is Danya even though he had that just terrible late hit I'll say this he looks incredibly fast mm-hmm. the speed on Danya is ridiculous and to be honest with you he could be just much more athletic than his than his brother mm-hmm. It's been said, and I think there's other people that have said this already, but it's not until you I saw it on the field that I realized Donnie may really have a strong season. <laughs> yeah. And we may just be better than we were last season. Um, we were pretty good last season uh, on defense, but this season, it's quite encouraging. I mean, uh, the combination of Donnie and Trey Moore, I think is, particularly as we get into conference play, is going to be really phenomenal to watch. I think the defense really, if there were any questions, I think they were answered, right? Like, mm-hmm. Let me ask you this, though. UTSA's defense absorbs some hits from Houston's offense, right? But, mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at Donovan Smith, did you feel like he was anything more than serviceable? No, I mean, honestly, I'm disappointed that we didn't force him to make any errors because that's kind of been his history, right? He's been turnover prone. You know, he did a good job of not having any interceptions, not having any fumbles. But other than that, I didn't really see anything spectacular from him. But he, did, he didn't He did make mistakes, and he did just enough to win the game for Houston. And I guess that's really all you can ask for him, right? Right, right. I mean, I think, look, taking it in, your gut reaction is you wish that there had been, you know, some some turnovers by this defense. But let's be honest, those two fourth down stops were turnovers, right? right? So what else do we expect from this defense? I think they did everything they needed to do uh, based on the field position and the situations they were put into. I mean, look, I think what we learned from this defense is just the fact that they are as good as we thought they were, maybe even better than they were. Yeah, definitely. I think they're better, actually. And again, not sure that they could have done much more um, in this game, it's certainly disappointing that yeah we didn't get this win because I feel like it would have been really on the back of this of this defense really. All right, so let's talk offense. <laughs> I know we're going to get to this. <laughs> so now we start that that sort of decline here in terms of uh, the things that just didn't go right. Mm-hmm. Um, look, we said this this UTSA offense needed to be more efficient. They couldn't waste drives. I think it's safe to say that there were some wasted drives. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Any bright spots, though, before we get to breaking yeah, out some offense? We look at it. We only scored 14 points, but yes, there are things that really we did well, and that's getting the run game going. I mean, we struggled to get the run game going against Houston last time. We had absolutely. an abysmal run game. And this time we had Kavorian rush for 103 yards and a touchdown. Robert Henry only had three carries, but the carries that he had seemed, you know, really good. He looked very fast, and it looked really promising to have him, Rocco, and Barnes as kind of this three different options in running back. Um, it seemed like every time Rocco got the ball, though, man, he just, like, ran into a, a brick wall. But... You know, again, I feel good about what the run game will look like in future games. Um, And then, of course, Josh Cephas 
career high 123 yards, nine re- uh, receptions, and a touchdown. Can I just say this? Is it weird that 123 yards is his career high? Yeah, I mean, you take the history and you tend to forget how many yards Zakari was getting in these games. So yeah, it is right. it is odd to hear that, you know, and and going back to um preseason, one of the things that JT said he really wanted to do was to get to 1000 yards receiving this season because he's been hovering in the 700s. And, and again, you think of these big 3, but you forget there really was a large portion going to Zakari versus Josh and JT. I'm still just kind of yeah. <laughs> it's still kind of ringing in my head like wow that's his career high yeah. wow um, and can I also say you just said that he had 123 yards it didn't feel like he had 123 yards it <laughs> felt actually like he had maybe at least to me it felt a little less than that sure but then again I think when you get caught up so emotional emotional into the game you know uh, emotionally into the game sorry and I guess you just don't realize Oh, how many yards did he just pick up, right? Right. Um, he had that great shin, you know, fake on the uh, touchdown pass that he caught. I just, I guess I just don't realize just how much, you know, yardage he's eaten up, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, the fact is, great game by him. Um, you know, had a tough offseason. Now, look, here we are, uh, first game of the season, and looking good. So hopefully he continues to, to roll with this. What did you think about uh, Ernesto Amores at center? You know, I was really impressed. I mean, we saw in the past when Maka had come out of the game and you had to throw in Katie, you know, there were times where you had high snaps. And, and at times we even had some high snaps with Maka in there. Um, and so I, I anticipated that we were going to see just maybe some errors there that Frank was going to have to adjust to. I wasn't worried that he wouldn't be able to because he's obviously this has happened in the past where he's had to adjust, right. um, you know, to higher snaps or things being off. But there were one or two that maybe were a little wonky, but for the most part, it seemed like he and Almaraz were really in sync. So I thought that was pretty impressive for a first game. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think uh, they could have been more concerned if there had been more snaps that affected the play overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it seemed like everything, even if there was a slight, a slight high snap, I, I, I don't think it really messed up the timing of the play. I no, think and Frank, just, you, you didn't see those snaps that you've seen in the past where, like, Frank had to jump, you know, right, right. reach above his head to get the, the snap, and that didn't really happen. Overall, I thought this offensive line played well, um, not just, not just you know, Ernesto, but overall, I, I, I felt they played well. I thought, you know, for the most part, they won their battles against that uh, Houston defensive line. You know, I wasn't too high on, on this defensive line for Houston. I thought, you know, there's a lot of switching that's coming on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I felt that I felt that, that would still kind of swing into UTSA's favor. Now, I think people probably smarter than me were saying, well, that's a really good defensive line. Okay, but I, I, I don't think that it was really came out or really was highlighted like that at this during this game. No, and, and it probably didn't help that Chidozi went down. Sure, right. Um, you know, and I think that kind of helped open up some of the run game and stuff. But again, I think there's a few other things that kind of go in line with that. Not to go dive too deep in that, but, you know, the line, I think, was also rotated a bit. And mm-hmm. so I think that also helped getting some other guys into this game. And really, giving some guys a breather. You know, the first game, one of the things we, we don't think about is the fact that, you know, everybody's trying to uh, get their 
really get back into their prime shape again, right? Like right. it's they, they don't have that win that they had, um, you know, in the middle of last season, you know, end of last season after they've been taking quite a bit of hits and they're, you know, kind of sort of in that prime uh, of the season. So um, interesting just to see how this how this team progresses or at least this line progresses because of the fact that you know we really didn't see a lot of. Um, I would say injuries, but something to kind of keep an eye on, especially with Makai Hart showing up with a club on his yeah. <laughs> or a glove on his uh, right hand. Um, it's it's not optimal, but mm-hmm. um, you know it's it's where it is. So, are you ready to talk a little bit about Frank? Sure. All right. Look, in my opinion, uh, it was tough to see him play on Saturday night live. I think gut reaction, he didn't have a very good game. Mm-hmm. On the rewatch, I mean, it wasn't like a much better game than I had seen, but I think there's a little bit more to take out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, look, uh, skimming past some of this social media crap that like was going around, you know, Frank said himself that he had a bad game, and for the first time ever in a post game press conference, press conference, trailer said that he wasn't sharp. I gotta ask you, like, Trailer has never said that before, right? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of surprising to hear that because usually he says things like, well, it was on me and the game planning was on me. And, and you did hear that in the media roundtable today. But, I mean, to be honest, we all knew that Frank was going to come into this game with some question marks because he didn't get a lot of time to practice because he was out all of the spring with really serious health issues. And... You know, anytime you come into a fall camp and you don't have a lot of time to practice and adjust and you're still kind of getting back in the rhythm and you have these major health issues, you know, you know he's going to be rusty. What we don't know right now is, you know, is it a situation where it's really his health that's causing issues? You know, there were times where it looked like he couldn't really step into his passes or is it mental in that he doesn't quite trust himself because of, you know, the issues and he knows he's not at 100%? You know, was it the, the fact that he didn't have a lot of time to really get in a rhythm with some of these new receivers? That was something we had talked about pregame. Or was it just kind of this culmination of everything? I mean, it, people have bad days, you know, and maybe it was just a bad day. I mean, I don't know that we have those answers right now because it's just one game. For me, I think it was a culmination of just about everything, right? Like, there's there's just things that catch up to you. You know, we, we've used, or I've used the example before, like, you fail your first test in the semester, like, you've got a lot of catching up to do, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, there's your grade is low, you're going to have to do well the rest of the way to get your grade up. And so I, I think that there's, you know, if you kind of look at that in terms of an injury, there's just things that he's got to get caught up on. And, you know, Trailer said he's going to try to get, you know, essentially work himself into shape. Um, that's a concern for me because I think that that really calls into question, honestly, I guess taking a step back here, it calls into question the fact of, you know, is it going to be just getting into shape or how much gas does he have left in his legs? Well, yeah, I mean, that that's the question is, you know, is he ever going to be able to get back to 2022 shape, you know, or 
is the fact that he's had some additional surgeries and the infection and so forth going to mean that Frank at his best this season is maybe, I don't know, 85, 90% of what we've seen. You know, we don't know that, that answer right now, again, just because we've only seen him in one game. So we'll have to see what happens, you know, the Texas State game, the Army game, really to get an idea of, you know, what can be the expectations for Frank this season. And to me, one of the things that I think we need to ask ourselves is, you know, in the past, we have looked at Frank as carrying this team. You know, we we put the team on his shoulders, he put the team on his shoulders, and we've really asked him to be a spectacular quarterback to lead this team. And that might not be realistic going forward, given his health concerns. We may have to do things a little bit differently. And I know you want to talk about play calling under Burke, but to me, this kind of goes back and looks at, do we have to do something different in terms of scheme and play calling in the future? Because Frank may not be able to operate the way he did in 2022. I mean, my opinion, you see teams that are successful with quarterbacks that aren't as gifted athletes as Frank is, but yet they're successful. And the reason they are is because they either have a scheme or they run a different type of offense that allows them to play up to those strengths. So I guess my question to you is, is the play calling under Burke, the scheme that we're seeing right now under Burke, really playing to those strengths? Or do you think we need to do something different there? Well, first thing to note here, Justin Burke has a difficult, difficult job here because unlike his predecessors in Barry Lyon Jr. and Will Stein, Justin has to work with the fact that he's only only working with one of the vaunted big three receivers, sure. right? Uh, Zakari's gone. JT did not play this game, so it was only Josh Cephas. In the bowl game that Justin Burke called plays on as well, he only had Zakari. Mm-hmm. JT was out with injury. And Josh was suspended. So that's been something that he hasn't had the luxury of using other receivers. And that goes back to the coaching staff. You know, as much as we laud this coaching staff, we do need to criticize them for not getting more receivers on the field. Um, But it also leads to other things of not putting teams away, right? Like, that's just not Uh something this team has done. There's a lot of, we've talked about, oh, you know, they've out-athleted, they've done all these other things. But it really goes back to some of that you know, some of that where had they just taken care of business, you could have seen other receivers out there <laughs> getting chance for more reps. Mm-hmm. And that just hasn't happened. But, you know, I think overall, just look at just look at some stats under Justin Burke as offensive coordinator. Frank is forty one for seventy eight, which is fifty three percent passing. He's got two touchdowns and five interceptions. That's not the Frank that we know. No, I mean, those stats are anomaly compared to the rest of what we saw in 2022. And and even in 2021. You know, this is is not the Frank that we know. But we also, going back to the injuries, we've also have to realize that I don't know that Burke knows how to scheme for 
Frank around his injuries because we really don't know, like I said, what he has left in those legs. Mm-hmm. Yes, I saw him run around, you know, Saturday. We did the rewatch. Felt better about the fact that it looks like maybe it is, it could be the fact that he needs to just play himself into shape. But if it isn't that, then we have a long-term concern. That is something that we'll probably figure out over the next, I would say over the next month. Right. But let me, look, let me just say this about Frank. Criticizing for his three interceptions doesn't mean that we're, like, diminishing anything that he's accomplished. Yeah, it's not to say that he that he's not talented. I mean, we all know he's a gifted athlete. He's a talented athlete. But, he, you know, he's a human. He made mistakes. Right. Put this in perspective, his one bad game against Houston is like any other UTSA athlete, or actually anybody away from football, having a two to three game slump. And it's, it's what you just saw with Frank during this game. It's just, had a bad game, it happens, we move on, right? Let's just note some things here about these interceptions though. That first interception, he stared down at the tight end. You could tell even from the stands that because, again, I don't think he's comfortable with where he's at physically. Mm-hmm. He's, and again, and he's kind of lost. With those, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a little lost without, you know, having JT out there, his usual receivers that he's comfortable with. Again, going back to, again, not having many reps during the camp, he's going to just start, I think, pre-looking at players and trying to figure out, like, they're supposed to be there. Uh, I'm just going to throw there. And, you know, the announcers kind of brought this up, and I think others saw it as well within the stands. Like, that becomes a problem. If you're staring down your receivers, you're ma- you're just making it so much easier for Houston to defend, defend you. Um, that second one to Cephas, again, because of his injuries, his accuracy is off. And I just don't think that he threw the type of ball that you really wanted to. Mm-hmm. It almost felt very, I'm just going to throw it up and let's hope for the best. What was tough is that he had just thrown one interception. Now he throws a, another one on his very next throw. And it's like he's just trying to essentially erase the mistake from mm-hmm. before, right? So now you've got two. Now he's in his head. And yeah. this is what happens with Frank quite a bit when he throws an interception. It seems like he gets... He starts questioning himself. Right. Trailers talked about it before. Frank's kind of talked about it to, you know, to a degree. It's just, it's tough because I don't like this third interception whatsoever because essentially he starts rolling out to his left and he throws across his body. A quarterback throwing across his body is always a bad idea. Yeah. Frank's never had a cannon. So if you're a quarterback with a strong arm, you can get away with throwing across your body because you can just zip it there. But Frank, not being able to essentially plant or set up his uh, set up his footwork to throw to his receiver, I mean, it was just a soft pass across the middle. And it, I mean, the cornerback was essentially like baiting him to make that throw. Mm-hmm. And he fell for it. And it's just, again, there's rust, there's health. This is, I think, tough for him. And I, you know, like you said, I don't, we don't have the answer right now, but looking back at his performance, there were so many other good moments that it's tough to say that this is going to be a long-term issue Mm -hmm. going into the season. For me, I think, look, let's not get too hung up on him having a bad game and let's not get too hung up on the fact that, 
you know, that this Houston secondary is so amazing. I don't think that they really were. Again, Frank staring at his receivers makes it so much, makes their job easier. Right. So I'll say this. This is what we learned about the offense. This running game is as strong as we think it is. It's three running backs that we've got that can, you know, handle the load. Frank's got to be better accuracy-wise here, right? But I think a lot of it, a lot of this offense hinges on his health, and that is something that Justin Burke needs to put into his offensive play calling. There were some trick plays he threw, like some direct snaps to Kavorian and to Rocco and to you know Robert Henry during the game. That kind of threw just just let Frank. I mean, if he's going to take all these snaps and get back into essentially shake off that rust then let him. Yeah. Like, just let him take those snaps and let him read the defense and break down the defense. But it just felt like Burke, Burke called a game for 2022 Frank Harris, and he doesn't have 2022 Frank Harris health-wise. All right. Let's move on to the special teams. I know that this is something that you're going <laughs> to... That this is going to be essentially everything you want to get some frustration about, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, obviously, we talked about the special teams coordinator and why I think that's important. You know, look, we had a special teams coordinator last year. We made a mistake on special teams. We've been talking about it for a year. This year, we don't have a special teams coordinator, and we had a couple of issues. You know, I also felt like one of the reasons why it was important to have a special teams coordinator this year was because, you know, again, we have a new kicker, and we have a new snapper on punts. Cade Kohlenbach is returning, but he was the long snapper primarily on field goals and extra points in the past. So, again, he's new to being the long snapper for punting. He had an issue which caused Dean to, you know, not have the type of punt on that first punt that he needed to. These are just, again, they're little issues, but when you take a little issue with your snapping on punting, you take the missed field goal from Tate. You have Carpenter bobbling the kick return, which is not characteristic. You have an illegal formation and you just kind of take all of those things together. It just compounds it. And while people tend to not focus so much on special teams, there's a reason it's a part of the triangle because sometimes special teams is the thing that wins the game i.e. the walk-off field goal in Memphis, a lot of times special teams is the reason you lose the game. So it deserves to have that level of attention that you put on offense and defense, in my opinion. No, that's fair. And, and I think that I think that de-emphasizing the special teams to the committee approach uh, puts yourself in a, you know, just in a tough position to be asked that question repeatedly throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a close game like this, everything is magnified. Do you think that he's going to be asked about this throughout the year if if we continue to see these issues? Oh, definitely. I mean, he was asked about it in, in media today. He seemed rather perturbed by the fact that somebody asked him about it. <laughs> um, I think his response was, what do you, you know, what would you want me to do? It's like, I don't know, maybe fix it. <laughs> but... <laughs> right. but yeah, he's going to continue to get these questions if he doesn't figure it out and answer it. And, you know, by not having special teams coordinator, 
it falls on the head coach, so. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's kind of like, again, it goes back to some of the things. You you fail the test, you did it to yourself, right? You didn't study, you didn't put in all the time. I'm not saying they didn't study or whatever, but it just feels like it's an area of the game that they just continue to just say is not as important or have taken for granted because of the talent. I I don't have a problem with Tate Sandell missing that 47 yard. No, I mean, it's not like Jared Sack and Hunter Duplicis never missed a field goal, you know? Right. I mean, it's going to happen. <laughs> right. Um, I'm not I'm not concerned about it. I think if he's continually missing, if it was a bad miss, honestly. Yeah. I think, I think to me, if it was a bad miss, like really slotted it off to the right or even to the left, then I'd be much more concerned. Or if he didn't have the leg, the distance, you know? Right. What I saw when... I saw him approach that kick. It would look like his plant foot was a little bit, is angled a little bit too far out to the right. It seemed to kind of straighten up a little bit after he kicked the ball. But, uh, I mean, look, I'm no golfer, but I know that if you're trying to fix your swing right in between, right in the middle of taking the swing, that ball's not going to go where you want it to go. Right. So, you know, for, for Tate, it's, it's just a miss, right? Mm-hmm. And again, Talking about, oh, hey, it's not like, you know, other kickers don't miss. The Houston kicker also missed, right? So, you know, tough for both of them to come out there on their first kicks to try to, you know, essentially try to kick some long field goals. Um, Both missed. We move on, right? Um, There were some other, I think, again, going back to the offense, there were things they could do. There were, uh, you know, things that, you know, both teams could have done, but they they weren't able to execute. And that was unfortunate. I think from a spectator wise, spectator wise, because you wanted to see sort of that shootout that we had last season, right? right. I mean, I get it. I, I just like seeing some fireworks sometimes, right? <laughs> so let me ask you this: given everything we talked about, mm-hmm. should UTSA fans be panicking after this game? Should they be on the ledge? I don't think so. I mean, listen, we made mistakes on offense. We made mistakes special teams. We had a penalty that cost us on defense. But mistakes are going to happen in the first game. A lot of times you just have to play and figure out where your weaknesses are so you can correct them for the next game. I think the X factor to me, again, is Frank and his health. Is he going to be 100% or, or what percentage should we expect him to be at? And then... Can Justin Burke adjust the play calling around that? I mean, I think on offense, again, with the run game, we're in good position. We didn't really touch on it, but we do have some young, talented wide receivers that we got to see in this game. Amador and McEwen had both had plays, you know, that were impressive and showed their speed. Right. Um, so I think, you know, really, if we start to continue to see these errors, you know, if this is what we're talking about next week, if this is what we're talking about, you know, three, four games in, then, okay, maybe this is going to be a different season than we expected. But right now, I we're just going to have to take it game by game and see if we can improve upon and eliminate those mistakes in the next. If we're going to, if we're going to be panicking after this first game, then um, then I'll say this, 2022 is just a loss of a season, right? Because we started out 0-1 then as well. Mm-hmm. A loss to, you know, Houston in sort of a heartbreaking fashion. 
look, I, I, I think once we get more information on Frank and we see how he's playing and we see how he gets his legs under him, I think we get a better idea of what his passing is going to look like. Um, because honestly, this offense is contingent on the fact that he can make those passes regardless of who's out there at wide receiver. We can go back and forth whether he needs to spend more time with these young receivers or not. Uh, reality is, even if he does, his footwork and really his lower body is going to have to be strong enough to make those throws. Mm-hmm. And if he can't make it to where he can deliver an accurate ball, then it doesn't matter who's out there catching you know, a ball for him. We're just not. We're just going to have a lot of problems. So... Um, Overall, I just I think this defense is too good. I think that that running game is too good, and I, I just I think there was some first game jitters on the special teams. That although I still wonder if there's not some more issues there, I think that this team still has a lot to. I mean, obviously they have a lot to play for, but there's a lot of talent on here that I don't see is going to be wasted on you know just just having some you know this this first game you know, just loss, uh, I guess. Um, there's opportunity out there, and I think they'll take advantage. So um, I think we both agree. It's uh, it's nothing to be panicked about. It's it's tough, though. I mean, it sure. really is. Your gut reaction is always going to be, this was, you know, this was a, a terrible performance. But on the rewatch, there's just, there's just a lot more to be excited about. And... You know, hopefully in the next couple of weeks we can highlight some of those things because um, we do have you know Texas State, um, Army, and Tennessee coming up in the next three weeks. So, you know, I think we'll be okay. Maybe not, maybe not record-wise as great as we want it to be. You know, undefeated or only having like one or two losses. But season's still young. Let's see how it goes. Before we go, let's talk a little bit about the latest in the realignment news since. This recent news kind of touches the American Conference. Okay. Um, it was recently announced that SMU will be leaving the American Conference next year for the ACC, along with Cal and Stanford. Good for them that they finally made it to a, a P5 conference. It's a little disappointing that we're not going to be able to uh, play them next season. But I just had to laugh. I don't know if you saw the comments that Rhett Lashley made in the press about how SMU is going to be the only school in the DFW Metroplex that will be in a top three conference in the country starting next year. It's like, say what you will about the Big 12, but I'm pretty sure TCU played in the national championship last year with your former coach, and even in a rebuild year, they filled their stadium for that game against Colorado can't say as much about SMU and their law tech game. SMU's offense is P3. Their crowd is FCS. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's really bad. Any other thoughts about um, SMU moving on? Don't let the whole door hit you on the way out. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's really the way I feel. I mean, yeah, I think every school is going to look at it, look at realignment in a different way. They're going to chase things in a different way. Let's not forget the fact that they're not going to get any payouts. And look, I think they're going to bank on you know pay you know essentially getting conference payouts for different things. They're not going to get the TV money, is what I'm really referring right. to, is, you know, in terms of payouts. But I mean, I, I guess for them, it's not a big deal. 
for UTSA, that would be a big deal. Sure. Um, we need every single type of income <laughs> that we can get, any sort of revenue stream, I guess you can is the best way to put it. Um, and, but for SMU, it was a desperation. Um, and, you know, I, I think... I think they're setting a bad precedent for the rest of realignment. And that's something that we had kind of talked about back and forth away from the pod. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, trying to get into a higher level conference and saying you're not going to take any TV payouts. I think that's what conferences will look at in the future, right? Like they, that's maybe something that they say, look, uh, yeah, we'll bring you in, but we're not going to give you any sort of TV payouts. Let me ask you this. Do you think it would stop there? I mean, I think there might be, and, and I don't know all the rules around sure. it, but, you know, just, let's just entertain that for right now. Do you think any other payouts could be held back if that's the case? Yeah, I mean, certainly it seems like it's a, a bit of a slippery slope, you know, that that, T, that SMU has opened the door for. So it'll be interesting to see whether that really does have any impact in the future. The other thing that was kind of interesting about this move is that, Mike Oresko announced that they, well, I guess he didn't announce it, but the rumor is that Mike Oresko is pursuing Army as a football-only program to replace them. So I guess we might have some more trips to West Point in our future. I mean, that'd be cool. I, I like, I love the West Point area. Um, I thought it was really beautiful outside of the wine. Uh, yeah. It was just terrible. But yeah, I mean, I whatever we need to do, and when I say we, I say UTSA, I think really needs to focus on itself first and foremost. They need to get the facilities upgraded. Um, they just need to continue to show success throughout their, you know, athletics department and then let the chips fall where they may. I mean, yeah. just, you know, if the American turns into something uh, totally different in a couple of years, which it probably will, so be it. Just continue to play, dominate, and see if we can open up some more revenue streams because that's really what's going to be most important here for UTSA. You continue to win, that should give you an opportunity to either move up or open up other doors. Absolutely. Um, Speaking of the American, a couple of scores to highlight from this past week's play. Uh, North Texas lost to Cal 21-58. to Kind of interesting this game. Some people felt like this game might be more um, competitive than the UTSA-Houston game. We previewed this, uh, you know, and kind of had guesses about Eric Morris. North Texas fans, I think, were essentially, like, really upset after this. Um, you know, this is not a powerhouse Cal team. So, I, <laughs> I don't know, I'm trying not to, like, get too far and, like, really make fun of North Texas. I mean, it's only, a, you know, it's first game. But, you know, still, it's, you don't want to be killed at home. <laughs> Right. On your first game, uh, playing pretty much any team, right? Um, we, we've been in those days uh, with UTSA, and uh, they're just not fun. It, it just it puts a damper on, on the beginning of the season. Yeah, definitely um, a very different start for Eric Morris' career as an FBS head coach than uh, G.J. Kenny, huh? Absolutely. UAB also beat uh, North Carolina A&T 35-6. I know you got to see a little bit of this game. Yeah, um, they didn't look very impressive. But again, first game, you know, you, you don't know. I mean, I, like I said, there was some chaos around because like 
pretty much dilfers all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, just kind of really getting in front of the mic and just saying whatever. Unlike, I would say unlike <laughs> Primetime. Uh, Primetime did it against a much better team and came out. He said what was going to happen and he made it happen. When it came to UAB, they just, there's still a lot to work on. Much like, you know, UTSA. So uh, wasn't as impressed with them. Um, one team that you were impressed with was Tulsa. They beat um, Arkansas Pine Bluff 42-7. to You know, we always talk about, like, you know, a lot of these conferences, uh, their preseason picks, sometimes teams really just outperform the predictions, right? Uh, I'm not saying that Tulsa will, but they did look pretty good uh, from what I saw in this game. Um, certainly, certainly speaks to the, you know, if, if Tulsa does end up being near the bottom of the American Conference, then I think it shows the strength of the bo of the bottom of the conference. Compared to the bottom yeah. of Conference USA. Correct. Um, and then Tulane beat South Alabama 37-17. Didn't see much of the I, – actually, we didn't see this at all. I just caught mostly highlights. But uh, any concern about Tulane, you know, taking a step back, I, I don't think it's there yet. Um, I, you know, they came out and they, they – took South Alabama to the woodshed. So, uh, you know, we'll see how they continue going. But, you know, in general for all the teams, um, obviously you want to start out with a win uh, because it gets, you know, quote-unquote momentum going. It gets, you know, fans really excited. But a win or a loss in the game one doesn't necessarily dictate what's going to happen the rest of the season. So, you know, I think there's still work to do for all these teams, uh, just like UTSA. Um, and we'll just see what what happens, right? Another news: um, UTSA volleyball started out the Roadrunner Classic strong with the three zero win over Lamar, but then they dropped their next two games to Delaware and to Tarleton State. Um, they will be back in action this weekend at the Dunn Campbell Invitational in North Carolina. Uh, they'll be facing South or Georgia Southern, Campbell, and San Jose State. Um, women's soccer had. A little bit of a tough stretch on the road here. Um, they lost a tough match to Grand Canyon University, uh, zero to two, albeit in a dust storm at the end. The team had some issues. Uh, it looked like they they just weren't, I guess, really on the same page with each other. It just didn't seem like they really could complete some of these easier passes. You know, there was just easy throw-ins and then a pass back to the to the player that had just thrown in the ball and it was off target. It, it was just bizarre. I, I don't know if the wind was really kicking up, but that, <laughs> from the distance that it was, it, it shouldn't have been any sort of, mm -hmm. um, like, I would say any sort of factor into the bad passing. I just, I don't know. I, I just think that, I think that this team was trying to press at times, and it showed, uh, you know, GCU came out and really tried to neutralize some of the players, especially Sophie Morin. Uh, Sophie played the entire game. It seemed like they just realized that she could be a difference maker. So it goes on what I've been talking about, Sophie, the, the whole year. You know, there's it's clear that she's kind of beginning to stand out, and teams are going to begin the game plan to make sure that they can neutralize her and not allow her to get some of the offense going and to make connections with her forwards. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that's that's about it. The, the dust storm was weird. Um, it really gave, honestly, it gave UTSA the win on the back. But that caused problems, too, because some of the easier passes that they were laying out there before were just really sailing in the mm -hmm. air. Uh, something that could have gone from, 
you know, to the edge of the penalty box, which <laughs> started floating in, you know, past the end line, and, and it caused problems. So um, I'm just glad they got through it. Uh, it. It looked like it was just a terrible, terrible way to be playing. Yeah, then they followed that up with a 0-0 draw at Cal Baptist. Um, interestingly, Mia Krasinski and Sophie Morin didn't play. Not sure if that's injury-related or something else. Um, but Oregon State transfer Isabel Harrod started as goalkeeper and seemed to do a pretty good job. Yeah, she had a couple of iffy moments uh, where she came out and I think lost sight of the ball. Um, but uh, other than that, I mean, I thought she was r- really good, uh, which is good to see, right? Like if you bring in your backup, you hope that they're going to be near the level of your starter. Right. And, uh, you know, I got to say, Isabel was right there. You know, again, it's tough because you could misjudge the ball as you're coming out. So uh, certainly a little bit to just, and, and it could be also because she doesn't have all the reps, right? She hasn't really been in many of these games. So something to think about. But other than that, I think I think the tough part for the team right now is, I would say, put it in football terms, they're doing a very good job of driving, driving down the field. But when they get in the red zone, they just can't put it on. They just can't score. Yeah. And uh, they just need to get a little more creative, I guess, or just better at punching it home. Uh, and so, you know, there were some late opportunities uh, in, in this game. Jordan Walker had had probably one of the best chances I'll ever see uh, where CBU just allowed her to get position in the box, and she was able to turn and shoot. And I think she would want that shot back. Yeah. I, I think it was a very good shot, but I think – had she known just where she was and how they weren't really guarding her, um, yeah, that and there was a terrible miss penalty on uh, on Macy Gildmeyer. Uh, Macy was was going into the box and you know UTSA was called for a penalty kick uh, in the GCU game. Mia saved it because of course it's Mia, right? But that one seemed a lot a lot less of a foul than the one. Uh, that was uh, that Macy was fouled on in against CBU, so I was perplexed. But you know that this, that's what you get, right? Like the the refs, the refs are gonna make the call. And from our my vantage point, it looked like it should have been a penalty kick. It wasn't. All right, we move on. But uh, the team continues. I think they continue to play well. So let's just see how they keep going. Um, I just want to see them play a little stronger in the next few games just so that it can build confidence going into the you know conference slate. Yep, they will be back in action at Park West on Thursday at 7 o'clock against AM Commerce, and then they'll travel to Nacogdoches to play SFA on Sunday at 1. Both games will be shown on ESPN+. Awesome. Well, that about wraps it up for us. Thanks for joining us on the Hail Mary podcast. I'm Atos. And I'm the Toes. Since we already ran a little long, we'll be back later this week with our preview of the much-anticipated I-35 rivalry game against Texas State. Birds up.